Well, good morning. If you and I have not gotten a chance to meet yet, my name is Chad, and I get to be one of the pastors here at Eastern Hills, and we are in a series called Raise Them Up, which has been fantastic so far. If you've missed any sections of it, that's why we record these, so that you can go back and find them. Each one of these messages has been uniquely helpful, but also we're talking about parenting. But even more than that, we're talking about lies that we're tempted to believe, because evil is a real thing, And one of its top tactics is to get us to believe a lie that's mostly true, but with some details changed that can really trip us up along the way. As people of the way of Jesus, our response to that is discernment and to rest ourselves onto, okay, what does God actually say about this? It makes sense that we're in a parenting series this morning because, lo and behold, it's Mother's Day. So, off the top, happy Mother's Day. Uh, So for those, oh, sure, it's worth a clap. (laughs) Mother's Day is one of those great levelers in society uh, because no matter who you are, at some point in history, somebody got with another somebody, and that made you. And one of those people was your mom. And so whether you have a good relationship, bad relationship, awkward, distant, or sometimes just difficult to explain in polite company, relationship with your mom, we all have a mom. And I know what you're thinking. It's Mother's Day. It's about sermon time. And the person you want to most explain to you about motherhood is a 29-year-old guy with minimal parenting experience. <laughs> Because my oldest is three. So rather than attempting to mansplain motherhood to you, what we're going to do is something a little different this morning, uh, because what I can do for us is give us solid biblical truths based out of Scripture. And so we're going to have this morning in a couple of chunks. We're going to do a particular story out of Genesis that I think will be helpful for us. Then we're going to have a panel of moms come to share their stories about the ups, downs, and just life of being a mom, and I know you're going to find it super encouraging and helpful for you. And then to wrap up this whole sermon and different parts of this morning, we're going to sing. Because there's something just beautifully sending about singing, where it really helps us cement the main point of what we're trying to get at. So, with that in mind, if you've got a Bible on you or with you or in your phone, flip it to Genesis chapter 16. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to pick it up midway through that chapter. But to give you a little background as to what has happened so far in Genesis 16, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did that whole Bible in like one go in like 30 minutes or so sermon uh, through the different promises that God makes and how they get fulfilled. And one of the first ones was to this guy named Abram, uh, where he's like, hey, you're going to have land and family. Like, I know you're like 100, but you're going to have loads and loads of kids. It's going to be great. Uh, We're going to pick up the action with a story that happens around that guy because he hasn't started having kids yet. Uh, Abram and Sarai, which is their names at this point in the story, later God will change their names to Abraham and Sarah, because if nothing else, it's easier for me to say. But they couldn't have children. And they tried the normal way of that for a while, but eventually they got impatient with God's plan, and they looked at their situation and went, you know, we've got this Egyptian slave around here. Why don't we try having kids with her? Sure enough, that plan B worked. And then Hagar, the Egyptian slave in their house, found herself pregnant. But 
Sarai, who couldn't have kids, hated it. Began to mistreat her horribly, so badly that Hagar had to flee. And that is where we're going to pick up our story in Genesis 16. Uh, Starting off at verse 6, or 7 actually, it goes like this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. So the angel finds her in the desert. She's on the run, she's pregnant alone, with not much of a plan, and off in the wilderness. Like, I want you to understand where she's at. Like, when it says desert, it means, like, desert, desert. It's a place that we would today call the wilderness of Paran. Uh, And this is what that place actually looks like today, if you were going to go there. That is where Hagar is. Somewhere. She's at least a day's journey past the last major rest stop on this road that she's on uh, to actually get to where she's going. In this wilderness, by the way, it rains less than two inches a year. There's no water anywhere. She's somehow found a spring in the middle of that, and that's where she is just trying to hang on because the odds that she makes it much further down this road are really, really low. Again, she's a pregnant female alone in the ancient world on a highway. And then we get that other detail, that she's on the road to Shur, which all of them knew what that meant that initially got this story, but as we're not as familiar with their highway system, I brought a map for us to look at uh, of where this is. So Hebron, way at the top, uh, is where Abram and Sarai are, uh, and that big white line follows down the, what's known the Patriarchal Highway. It's always been a highway. For all of history, it's been a highway. Even today, it's still a highway. You can go there if you want. And she's somewhere down near Bir Lahai Roy. But this thing is called the road to Shur. There is only one place that that road goes. Back to Egypt. Now, to remind you, Hagar was Egyptian and was an Egyptian slave that somehow ended up with Abram and Sarai. She's not running to freedom. She's just running back to what she knew ahead of time. Even though it was probably going to be worse. I can't imagine that your social prospects, if you are in the ancient world alone, female, pregnant, barely making it there without much water or food or any resources at all, like your life is not going to be better. But she's just running back to what she knew. And there's something infinitely human about that. Right, because you and I don't tend to, well, like when things get difficult, and I mean like actually difficult, not like, oh, I stubbed my toe or they ran out of low-fat yogurt at the store. Like actual problems. Like we don't tend to run to freedom. We tend to just default to what we knew beforehand because at least we're comfortable with that. Like we're allergic to uncertainty. And so we're just like, okay, as long as I know what it is, even if it's terrible, like I can do that. Like, you ever notice when you get out of a bad relationship, you usually don't start dating winners after that? 
Not unless you've dealt with something going on inside of you. Or maybe it's even just like as we learn more about Jesus, or maybe as we're like trying to figure out what worldview to even take in this crazy, chaotic world. There's a lot of things you could be watching online right now. First of all, thanks for picking us. But like every input is out there and like our worldview, you can almost pick whatever. It's like a charcuterie board of the internet. Like, but even as we go and like maybe you grew up around church and like you read a Bible story and you're like, that does not fit into what I was thinking. We default to whatever it is we believed first or like maybe whatever we were told growing up or maybe like I've just heard a bunch of pastors say this thing and so I'm just going to repeat it and hope it sticks. We just go back to what we know. There's something really, really human about that. But then there's this interesting interaction that Hagar and this angel have. Uh, and it's a little topsy-turvy, uh, but let me read this to us. Uh, it's right following that. It's in verse 9. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. I don't know how that sounded to you. But that's a bit up and down. Like on the one hand, okay, you're probably going to die in the desert. You're not. You're going to live. You'll have a baby. He'll live. It'll be great. Also, go back to your mistress. I know she's treating you terribly. Got to go back there. But then there's a promise. And you're like, oh, Ishmael, like God actually hears me. That's great news. Also, by the way, he's going to fight everybody. By the way, we're still paying the consequences of this one today. Because there's a different group of people that you and I don't naturally agree with that thinks Ishmael is their spiritual ancestor and we chose Jacob. If you were to say, go to the Middle East today, even different descend spiritual descendants of Ishmael don't all agree on how to actually follow that guy and so they fight each other a fair bit. Uh, if you were to maybe take a trip a little bit west of there and go to Nigeria, you would find Christians, spiritual descendants like through Jacob, and Muslims, spiritual descendants through Ishmael, still fighting. This whole thing happens. And it's a really up and down. Like, I have a lot of emotional reactions to this interaction uh, between this, like, angel and, and Hagar. I'm like, that's, like, that's a lot of up and down. Like, what's going on there? And you probably have equally as many as I do. I'm just like, this is, that's a lot to unpack. But I'm more interested in how Hagar took it. I think that's more helpful. And so let's see Hagar's reaction to this thing that you and I are like kind of 50-50 on. Says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's why the well is called Bir Lahai Roy, and it's still there. Hagar's reaction is, God saw me. Right, like, there's, there's a lot of difficulty in this story for Hagar, and it doesn't get better over time. 
And like, there's a lot of lies she could have been tempted to believe, like all of which would be reasonable under the circumstances. Like, I can't do this. I'm out of here. I'm going back to what I know, even if it's definitely worse for me. Like, I can't do it. But at that moment, God steps in and just sees her, like exactly her for who she is and what kind of mess she is in. And that is just so typical of God's character. Like, he has not changed a bit in thousands of years. Like, somehow, even today, God sees the jacked up, messed up, locked up, and shacked up versions of us, knows exactly how we got ourselves into that situation, and goes, yeah, want you. I see you, I know you, I understand you, I made you, and I love you. I am for you. Yeah, this is not a great situation that Hagar found herself in. But God's reaction is just to see. Like, whatever mess we get ourselves into, maybe it's something someone else created that we had absolutely no control over, God sees, like, God actually knows. And not in that, like, judge your way, like, ooh, God saw that. But, like, God actually is like, yeah, I know, and I'm still for you. I still want you. Right? Like, even those things about us that we, like, clear our internet search histories for, we're like, man, I hope no one finds that. Like, not just the overtly sinful things. By the way, stop Googling that. But also, like, the ones that we just would be embarrassed if someone else knew, like, how do I get my toddler to shut up? And they're like, dang it, I shouldn't have worded it that way. My pastor knew. But also, like, we feel, as parents, tremendous pressure to actually be good at it, which is fair, because we should try to be good at it. But also, like, if anyone knows how to make a toddler stop talking, let me know. I have no idea. But, like, God sees that, and it's like, yeah, I get it. I made you and the kid. I see you. Or like that really long mom bathroom break where you pretend it was like 20 minutes to deal with some issue, but really you're just on your phone like with a locked door to get a little bit of a break from the kids. Like God sees that. And again, not in the judgy kind of way, but in like, yeah, I know your deal. It's fine. I'm here. But that is one of the foundationally true things about this God that we serve, this God that we worship, this one who we know best as Jesus. He sees us. Now, on a normal Sunday, what I would do is I would share some personal story where this has impacted me. However, it is Mother's Day, and I am not a mom. So what we're going to do uh, is we've got three ladies who have agreed to share their stories of being a mom, and so they're going to come and join us uh, on stage. So if you want to welcome them up. And so these three bold ladies have agreed to uh, share some of their life with y'all. And I know you're going to find it super helpful and hopeful because uh, just in getting to interact over some of these questions has been phenomenal for me. But uh, just because I know you and we're all friends uh, doesn't mean that they do. So uh, just off the top, uh, if you could introduce yourself, you know, your name, how many kids you have and their ages, and then maybe like one win or highlight of being a mom for you. So I am Beth Brazil. I'm married to Matt Brazil. We have four kids, one boy and three girls. 
Um, Brandon is almost 12, Gabriella is nine, Juliana is seven, and Addie is four and a half. Um, so one memory or one win that I wanted to share was from our recent trip to Washington, D.C. Um, so I had started planning this trip, this vacation, um, last September, trying to find a hotel room that was going to be big enough to fit all of us. Um, I started to look at restaurants and look over menus to try to figure out where our picky eaters would like to eat. Um, I also started looking at different museums and places that we could visit. So fast forward about six months before, or six weeks before our trip, I um, started to make the museum reservations and the dinner reservations. And then right before we started to leave, um, we, we packed up. Um, I started to get a little bit nervous about one of our dinner reservations. So it was a restaurant that um, they didn't have a kid's menu. The kids were gonna really have to dress up and be super fancy. And I had like laid it down that they needed to really behave because we didn't want to disrupt other diners there. Um, so there was a lot of pressure on my kids. Um, so we get to DC, seven hour car ride. We had enough time to walk to the Capitol building and see all of the cherry blossom trees. They were in bloom, it was beautiful. Um, and then it was time to get ready. So everybody's feeling all of this pressure and this weight that I had put on them um, to eat dinner in this restaurant and really behave. So we walk into the restaurant and we sit down and we fold our napkins in our lap and the waiter, waiter waitress brings water to us um, and everybody's still kind of just a little on edge and then this bread arrives. So these big loaves of carbohydrate, homemade butter, comes and gets delivered to our table and I can just see my kids' eyes like they are so excited about this bread and everybody just starts to relax. So within a couple of minutes we start having a conversation about um, all the opportunities that there are living in a big city and they like all start to announce that this is where that they see themselves living um, so that was That was a big thing um, At that point I really kind of had to take a step back because I realized that my planning and my attention to all of this detail Wasn't really what's important and that God has us in the, this big picture So my name is Dina Kushner. I'm married to Steve Kushner, who you might know from the elder board. Um, but I'm, I'm the non-trad parent up here. Um, I'm a cancer survivor from when I was a kid, and I couldn't have children of my own. So um, I thought that was going to not be a thing for me. And then uh, a few years into my marriage, we were sitting in the, in the congregation at Eastern Hills, and a couple got up on stage, you might know Tim and Melissa Glisson from years ago, and they shared with the congregation how they needed help and prayers because they were about to take in a sibling group of eight kids from Florida in addition to the three foster and adoptive kids that they already had, and they needed bunk beds and pillows and you know all the things that kids need. And they told the story of how when they went to meet these eight kids down in Florida, they were all, there was an older sibling group, they ranged in age from, you know, 16 all the way down to toddler age and when they went to this orphanage to meet these kids a whole bunch of other kids were coming up and tugging on their arms going will you take us to you take us to and I'm sitting in the crowd at Eastern Hills and I'm bawling over that just imagining the hopelessness that those kids must have felt watching you know this this another potential adoptive parent walking out the door and them being left behind and I'm bawling and Steve looks at me and he says, well, I know what we're doing. <laughs> 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 and, 
And so we just <laughs> felt God's call on our life. So almost immediately we got certified as foster parents. And so over the years we have fostered three teenagers who are now full-grown adults. So my, I would say my great memory or win as a foster parent came actually kind of recently, um, now that my kids are grown. You know, when you're a foster parent, you wonder, are these kids going to want to have anything to do with me later in life when they don't have to be in my house anymore, when, when they're out of foster care? And you wonder if you're making any kind of a difference or if they love you. And so um, within the last year or so, my, my older daughters, who are 26 and 22, have been reaching out and wanting to spend more time with me, and my younger daughter wants to have mom dates, and, and my older one just brought her friend over to meet us last week. So that to me is, that's been the biggest thing. It's just that they, they want us in their lives still after, after all that time. I am Drusilla Horn. People call me Dewey. My husband is Jim. We have three grown children. They are, the first one is 42. The next one is 38. Um, they're girls, and I have a son that is 37. So one of my great joys of having children is all the adventures they have brought us on. So I'm going to share a favorite memory. Um, I was a high school teacher in the school that all three of my children attended. My oldest daughter, when she was a senior, was heavily involved in the music department. She has a beautiful voice. She loves to sing. And so she had auditioned for what is called the All Eastern uh, Choir. And this is um, something that uh, New York State Music Program puts on. And... Um, High school seniors are selected from eastern states all, all along the eastern seaboard, and they are invited to perform um, in, a, in a concert in a chosen city. So indeed, she was chosen, and she felt very honored, and it was selective. And I was, of course, happy and pleased for her. And then the head of the music department came to me and said, the school district is required to send a chaperone with each student uh, because they would be there for several days performing. And because all the music teachers are very busy uh, with rehearsals for the high school musical, which my daughter was the lead in, but they let her go, uh, so we can't go. And because you are a faculty member, you will be the chaperone. The good news for you is you're not a music teacher, so you don't have to attend any of the workshops and programs that they will be put on. And um, also, the school district will cover your expenses. So you have two or three days to just sightsee in New York City. I quickly uh, worked it out that my husband and two other children could come with us. They put us in a fabulous hotel in Times Square, and we spent, while my daughter was rehearsing, we spent our time, we went to Ellis Island, we climbed the Statue of Liberty, Central Park, FAO Schwartz, we saw a Broadway musical. Now, not only was this, uh, oh, I should tell you, this whole event culminated in seeing my daughter perform in Carnegie Hall. So the thing that was just wonderful about this was um, it wasn't just a vacation for us. We had a wonderful time, and we thoroughly just enjoyed celebrating with her while she performed. Yeah. Thank you. Like, first of all, sometimes we don't highlight enough how awesome parenting can be. Uh, 
because there's a lot of wins with it. Uh, but with uh, parenting, there also comes that other side of it as, as well. Because at one point, uh, we're like, okay, God hears, God sees, like he loves us. And like knowing that and reading that in a story and seeing that is, is one thing. But then uh, having that clash with reality of maybe how you feel about it or the different things that can come into just being a mom, uh, especially as maybe there's times where you don't feel like you're the mom that you wish you were. Uh, so maybe if you'd be willing to share uh, one of those with us, it'd be great. I'm not always confident as a mom, even though I know that God is for me. I remember thinking early on in my motherhood journey that if my children misbehaved, it was going to be a reflection of my parenting skills, or if my children um, did something wonderful, that it was also a reflection of my parenting skills. So I all too often put that heavy weight on myself, where I think to myself that I'm completely responsible if my children won't stay in their beds at night, or if I didn't monitor the Play-Doh time closely enough and you know, I'm the reason why it's mushed into the carpet. Um, sometimes I'm guilty of wondering if my child's bad mood or the, a fight that they had with a sibling is also my fault. Um, on the flip side, I have to remember that the lie that you know, my children's accomplishments also aren't necessarily a complete re reflection of my parenting. So God's working in my children and while I recognize my role in raising them, I also know that I can't take credit for their bravery during a dance recital or um, a, a perfect test grade, a basket on the court, or a new rhythm that one of them you know, learns on the drums, um, or how they support a hurting sibling or another friend. Um, because parenting can be challenging at times, I sometimes feel I'm not enough. Um, I wonder how I can clean up all of the messes and how I can help my children get along all of the time. Um, so as, I, as my faith grew, um, I learned that I am not going to be enough um, without God. I still sometimes go down the hole of thinking that my children's misbehavior, poor decisions, or impulses are always a sign um, that I haven't followed through on discipline enough or that I haven't been attentive enough to that particular child. Um, but reminding myself that my successes um, and weaknesses in parenting and my children's successes and weaknesses in being children or being human um, are not who God says we are, and that I'm not enough without God. Um, the big picture of really helping my children recognize God is in every decision and every action in their lives is really important to us. So giving these lies to God brings peace, and it helps me not ride the waves of trying to cover their mistakes and take credit for all of their accomplishments. Oh, that's a tough act to follow, Beth Brazil. Um, <laughs> I, during my mothering journey, I never felt like God didn't see me, um, but I often felt like I was a disappointment to God because I did not always have warm, happy, gushy feelings about being a mom. Um, you know, I jumped right into the parenting journey with teenagers, and even under the best of circumstances, teen, raising teenagers is hard. You know, they're, they're struggling for their independence, and they're pushing you away, and they're you know, there's hormones and there's rebellion and there's questionable decision-making and all that kind of stuff. And so going through that troubling time, I didn't have the history, the childhood history of all those happy memories of Disney World and, you know, Halloween costumes or all those times where the kid was clinging to my leg and going, Mommy, I love you. You're the best mommy in the world and cooing in my lap. Like, I didn't have any of that. So I just got to jump right into the the toughest part, and I oftentimes felt like I was giving and giving and doing nice things for them and buying them what I thought they would like and driving them places, and then I wasn't getting from them 
the affection or effusive gratitude or loyalty or obedience that I somehow felt that I deserved or had earned. And so I then found that I was sabotaging the very good things that I was trying to do by being resentful of them and bitter because I wasn't getting my emotional needs met by them. And, you know, who was I to expect that from them? First of all, they're kids. They're, they're not even fully developed. But also, these kids came to us with a lot of challenges that other kids don't have. And just because we chose them and wanted them in our home, they didn't choose us. Like, they didn't grow up going, oh, someday I want to be in a foster home with the Kushners. Like, that was not what their dream was. And even though this is something we wanted, we wanted to have them as part of our family, they were still trying to work out a lot of stuff, um, competing loyalties and who am I and how do I fit in this culture and how could I put that on them? So my big spiritual journey um, as a parent was just to learning to rely on God for my affirmation and, and know that it's him that I'm serving and he's gonna give, he gives me my affirmations, not, I can't put that on the kids or on any person really, that we need to rely fully on God because he's enough. So the really hard thing is that um, after I'm done talking, I will think, I've told the whole church all my issues. <laughs> <laughs> Um, honestly speaking, uh, becoming uh, a parent, I, I feel, is the best thing that's ever happened to me. At the same time, it's been one of the hardest things. Uh, when my children were born, my thoughts were, I want them to reach their full potential in life. I want them to be the best that they can be. I want them to embrace my faith. I believe in excellence. I think setting high standards is good. So I thought this was all good until I brought them home from the hospital. <laughs> and then a little bit of reality set in. So for me, when my children were the youngest, I, for me, found that the hardest stage. I could easily lose my temper and behave in a way that I could then torture myself and think now, think now I've severely damaged them, I've hurt their little hearts, and um, what made me think that I was going to escape the reality of being the very flawed person that I am. So a lie for me was coming to grips with, I am going to mess up, and I'm probably not going to be exactly how I imagined I, I wanted to be. And then as my children got a little older, I thought, well, now I have to provide the best environment for them, good teaching, good guidance. I gotta provide great opportunities. These are good. <laughs> and then I realized, even with all my efforts, I was not able to. I could not control all the things in life. And what made me think that I could? <laughs> and so a lie for me was, um, it's really not all up to me. I, I can't carry all of this. And now, as my children have become adults, I have to remember not to confuse my identity with who they are now. Um, I think mothers have a very unique 
connection with their children. We have poured so much of ourselves into them. We know the huge responsibility that this has been. And very often we see a little reflection of ourselves in them. Some good, some not as good. But again, I just have to remember, while I love them dearly and I'm proud of them, my identity is not found in them. We appreciate you sharing those things a lot. Yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> so one of the things that we say a fair bit around here is that community matters, which also, if you read the Bible, there's no escaping the fact that community is important. Uh, you really just can't get away from that. But then specifically to your guys' journey as being moms, uh, how have you seen community play out? Or maybe who have been some of those people that have encouraged you along the way? So it's not my natural gravitation to let people into the messy parts of parenting. Uh, Matt and I have been fortunate enough to have family support and live in a community where, in a neighborhood where everybody's really in the same stage of life. Um, but over the 12 years that I have been a mom, we have found that the Eastern Hills community has been really, really supportive for us. Um, when each of our babies was born, we had so many delicious meals delivered to us. Um, our small group has really been instrumental. Sometimes we'll talk about parenting. Sometimes we'll talk about just strengthening our marriage. Um, dedicating our children in the church and having the church publicly pray for us has been really, you know, a core memory for us. Um, we have been so grateful to all of the volunteers in the children's classrooms that have talked to them, talked to them and taught them and um, helped them get to know God a little bit better. Dina and Steve um, were our premarital mentors, and they have really been instrumental in just showing us how to live a life after Jesus. Um, I think that, you know, one of the moments for me that really helped me understand why having a community of faith was so important um, was suffering through a miscarriage. So all of these emotions of this loss um, started to pile up with um, this thought that I had done something wrong to cause this miscarriage. And it was actually a friend from Eastern Hills that was really the only one to break through that kind of pain at that time um, and say that, um, you know, God is, God is good and just he doesn't punish us for things, um, but forgives us and that any of my prior missteps um, were not the reason for that loss. So after that experience, I really knew that I could be more vulnerable with people um, and live in a community of faith. So um, my, my greatest fellowship in the parenting journey was my husband, Steve, um, because as much as teenagers will try to drive a, drive a wedge between the parents or play one against the other, Steve and I were very unified in our parenting, and we did prioritize our marriage as well as trying to raise these kids. Um, and I, I attribute that unity that we had in, in our approaches to our faith in Christ, that who brought that unity to us and permission to give advice, uh, Pastor Chad. Um, we'll see how it goes. I, I just want to encourage all of you uh, single folks who are still waiting to find your Mr. or Mrs. Right, if you're following after the Lord, um, wait it out for someone who's equally yoked with you spiritually because that unity... It just plays itself out in every area of life. So I, am, I praise God for having that with Steve. Um, I also had um, a small group of women who I had met with for many years, and most of them were ahead of me on their parenting journey, 
you know, some of them are 15 years older than me, 10 years older than me. So they were just on that edge of being ahead where anything that I brought to the table in terms of my frustration or, or beating myself up or thinking things didn't go the way I wanted, they were all there encouraging me, showing me I wasn't alone, that they'd gone through similar things. So that was amazing. And, and we have a couples group also that we are very close with. And I can remember being fighting with Steve in the car on our way to the Pavone's house. <laughs> Hi, Pavone's. And, and we're supposed to be going there for a Bible study. And we're, here we are arguing in the car furiously. And we knock on the door. And they can see the steam coming out of our ears as we're fighting. And we're like, oh, guess we're not having Bible study tonight. And then it was just intervention time. So um, I praise God for pu putting all these amazing people in my life. I look around this auditorium and I, or the sanctuary, and I see women and men who've just been there for us all along. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, my husband and I did not grow up um, as Christians. We became Christians as very young adults, and our family was not ever around us. Um, they are outside, they were all outside of Boston. Um, so all three of my children were born here in Syracuse, but when my youngest one was six weeks old, we moved away. So I suddenly found myself alone with three very young children, no friends, no family, and a husband that worked a lot of hours. So we did find a church, but I needed much more than just that. I needed people in my life. I needed people um, that were in the same stage, same season of life with me, but I also needed people out of that season of life, a little bit older. And what I also very much wanted were, were Christians, were people that could give me a biblical perspective, that gave me that bibli biblical point of view for our lives, for raising our children, for existing here. So we got involved with many activities. I was fortunate to always find um, a, a, a group of people to do Bible study with, but at one point, um, I, I did Bible study with a group of women, but it became so much more than that. We, we shared our lives together. We shared our struggles. We were honest with each other, and we became very good friends. And we had very different personalities. We, had, uh, we didn't really agree on everything, but we supported each other, and we encouraged each other. And that was wonderful. Um, during all that time, I, I just felt it was essential for me to be around people that viewed the scriptures as truth and were on a journey to, to, to know God. Um, I also have learned that I learn the most about me and I grow the most when I am in a community with fellow believers. Well, thank you guys for sharing. Uh, what I would love to do is actually pray for you guys, and then also by extension, uh, all the moms that are in the room or, or joining us online this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you for the gift that it is to get to be a parent. Uh, thank you for these three moms and their willingness to share the ups and downs uh, in their stories. We pray a blessing over them as they journey with their kids uh, in the coming weeks and months and years and see uh, how the rest of their journeys uh, wind out. We pray a blessing over them. We also pray for uh, every mom that's here today or that's joining us or 
that can even like hear the sound of this prayer. We pray for uh, moms that uh, if it's doubt or uncertainty or they're in a season where things are going well, whatever that looks like, we pray that you would be in that and that you would move through the season and help draw each and every mom closer to you and then by extension the rest of us as well draw us all closer to you so that we can be a better and better reflection of the way of Jesus. Uh, this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all can have seen. Can you give a thanks to them for sharing? So the band is going to come back and lead us in a final song uh, to help us drive home the main point that we're trying to wrestle with, the, the idea that God sees us and that we are actually not alone. Like through community, we get to not be alone. Through Christian community that we call the church, we get to not be alone. We get to read about a God who actually sees us and a God who actually hears us. And now we're going to get to sing about that God, how he actually meets us, and that we're not in this just by ourselves. It's important to have community. It's important to experience God. And so uh, as we wrap up the service here, would you stand with us if you're able uh, and sing this last bit about how awesome our God is?